I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. How do you feel when a police car follows you? I mean, like you just drive down the road and a police car pulls out from a side road right behind you and is just behind you, following you. Do you think, ah, oh, this is nice. <laughs> I, I am right now as protected and safe as can be. Yeah? Or do you think, like I do, turn, go away. Why are you following me? Okay, have you, because I have, have you ever turned needlessly just to shake one off your tail? Now, if there are any police officers in the room, we love you. We love you and appreciate you so much. Please stop following us. <laughs> See, it's not, it's not that you're doing something illegal, right? It's just that you might, you might, and you know you eventually will, and maybe won't even know. It's like, oh, you know, you see, well, what am I doing? What am I doing? Is everything, am I going to speed line? Are my tabs good? Good to go? Are my blinkers? Well, I don't even want to turn on a blinker, because maybe it's not working. I want to tie this into identity markers because we've been talking about identity markers. And these are the superficial, highly visible identity markers that allow anyone in any group to have a sense of security and belonging and acceptance. They're, they're not bad or good. They, are, they just are. And everybody has them. We demand them. We want to know who's in and who's out. And as we saw last week, the granddaddy of all identity marks has to be, the award goes to, circumcision, which was commanded of Abraham and his offspring for two reasons, as we saw last Sunday, a sign to remind of God's pledge, his promise to save all mankind from sin through Abraham's seed because a son was to come from those very loins who would redeem and restore and atone for the sin of anyone and everyone who would choose to trust this son who was to come from God. And he did. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes, believes in him, hello Jesus, uh, Jesus, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the first reason the circumcision was given was a sign to remind of God's pledge to save mankind from sin, and number two, it was given as a seal of Abraham's Faith and trust in God's promise to make that happen. And so as such, it was fulfilled. It was fulfilled in the new covenant of Christ. And so the sign of the promise then was to go away because the promise was fulfilled in Christ. And then after Christ rose from the dead, uh, he sent the apostle Paul 
to all the Gentiles, all the non-Jews with the good news of God's grace through faith in his son poured out to the whole world. But a story we're not really familiar with is that Paul soon found himself battling Christians, fellow believers who were fellow Pharisees, but believers whom Paul calls the circumcision group. And if you start watching for it in the New Testament, you'll see that that name is never used kindly, the circumcision group. In Acts 15, it says, some men were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved through Christ. They were teaching that this was the legal requirement to fulfill your salvation through Christ. And it was catching on fast. Which is why Paul warns Titus, there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group, also known as Judaizers. They must be silenced because they're ruining whole households. And they were. Households meaning churches. And Paul's righteous anger comes to a boil in his letter to the whole household of the mostly non-Jewish Galatian believers. Whole book of Galatians is battling against the circumcision group. Who knew? Because the, the churches, uh, the Galatian churches, they were accepting these destructive teachings coming from Paul's greatest adversaries. And for a while, Paul seemed to be the only one standing all alone against this. And so he writes, here's the first two chapters kind of summed up. He writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. People are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. When Peter, Peter, one of the 12, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. They're a scary bunch. The other Jews, he says, the other Jews, because Peter was very influential. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So I said to Peter in front of them all, a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you like to have been there and seen this? I mean, this is, he's dressing down Peter? Oh my goodness. A man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I love his passion. I love his passion. It's a big problem, legalism. Still a problem. Creeps in. You ever been pulled over? <laughs> You ever been pulled over by the police to be rewarded for following the speed limit? Hey, ma'am, just wanted to let you know you're doing a good job. No, no, that's not how the law works, is it? See, and this is the problem, and it's what no one seemed to get. The law, the law doesn't reward its followers. 
It only punishes its violators. In a nutshell, that's the difference between the law and Jesus. The law doesn't reward it. Read that with me. The law doesn't reward its followers. It only punishes its violators. That's what Jesus came to set us free from. And that's what Paul calls the curse of the law. And both those who know the law and those who don't know the law are equally anxious when followed by the law. You know why? Because we're scared of the law. Because we're all lawbreakers and rule haters at heart. There are a lot of scriptures that just come, out, come right out and say that. They did a study, put a hole in a fence on a sidewalk. Only a few would take the time to take a peek through that hole. But hang some police tape and a sign that says, do not look in hole. And you're laughing because you know, right? A line formed. Because the law, this is good too, the law's demands trigger its own defeat. Because it does something inside us that we hate. Because of us lawbreakers, rules and restrictions provoke us, challenge our search for sovereignty, our sense of self-rule. We want control, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, we're made in God's image, and boy, if anybody has control, God has control, but he's a good God. So if we were good little gods, then control would be good, but we're not such good little gods. So we want the control without the perfect love and the perfect wisdom that needs to go with it. We're law haters, though. We're law haters because we are self-rule lovers. And that's why we have such an instant uh, knee-jerk reflex to view every restriction as a deprivation rather than a protection. Ah, oh, cops follow me. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Now, we hate the word restriction. You're on restriction. I want to be restricted. Oh, stupid Galatians. I love this translation. This is from the New American Bible. And I'm using it because we read that word foolish in the Bible, and we have so softened it. Oh, foolish. You're foolish. New American Bible wanted to give us the sense of what they felt when they read it. And I love this translation. Oh, stupid Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Did you receive the Spirit from works of the law or from faith in what you heard? You know, from the Spirit in the law. Are you so stupid? <laughs> I really wanted to name the sermon Stupid Galatians, but it would look wrong out there on the internet as a title. Are you so stupid? After beginning with the Spirit, you're not ending with the flesh? Like you're going to add something to what Christ has done? No, he says, all who depend on works to any degree, all who depend on works of the law are under a curse. And here's why. Because it's written, cursed be everyone. I like when he speaks pirate. Cursed be everyone who does not persevere in doing all the things written in the book of the law. That's, he's quoting the law. But you see, the law is like tempered glass. You can't break it just a little. 
That's what car door windows and car back glass is made of, tempered glass. And I got to tell you, when I was young, I just loved shooting windows out, car windows out with my BB gun. <clears throat> Couldn't get enough of it. In the wrecking yard, of course. That was not out in the real world. In the wrecking yard was my playground. But, oh, boy, you'd hit that thing with a little BB gun, it just went, Pow! Laws like that, you can't break it just a little bit. Even if you're the best speed limit obeyer ever, the law not only won't you reward you for it, but boy, you break it just once and get caught, and you'll get a ticket in spite of it. James says, for whoever, whoever keeps the whole law, and yet, stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all. Broke all of it. For, here's his reason, he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. And remember how Jesus uh, put a fine point on that when he, he was revealing that according to the law, uh, just to lust is the equivalent of adultery and just to hate is the equivalent of murder according to the law. James says, if you do not commit adultery, which includes lust, but do commit murder, which includes hate, well, you've become a lawbreaker. And he says, to speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. The law of Christ. That gives freedom from the law of sin and death. You see, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us and paying every price for everyone ever. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Here's a great trick. You know how to be followed by the law without getting nervous at all? Let someone else drive. <laughs> Just as simple as that. Simple. Then it's even kind of funny. Well, when Jesus takes the wheel, no comments. When Jesus takes the wheel, he takes the curse. He says, here, let's let that law follow me. And you go ahead and just relax. And then you think, wow, I love you so much. I want to be like you. He says, oh, there's the obedience I'm looking for. There's the right motive. You see the difference? The motive with the law. <laughs> And the motive with Jesus, oh. That's Christianity. That's what it is. When Jesus takes the wheel, he takes the curse of that scrutinizing punishment only law along with it. And we are freed. We are freed from the threat of the shadow of the law hanging over our shoulder. These are a shadow, Paul writes to the Colossians. These are a shadow, all these things in the law. They're a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So do not let anyone who delights, you know, in like the half a foot and a half step out of the Christianity and the law and the legalism and all. Yeah, don't let anyone who delights in false humility disqualify you for the prize. You know, such regulations, indeed, well, they have an appearance of wisdom. I'll give them that with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They don't have the power to stop sin. In fact, they increase it. 
You see, sins of immorality are like dying of cancer. As bad as they are, you, you can see it coming. You can prepare for it. Take steps to correct it. And so, as detrimental as indulgent sins are, at least they compel their sufferers to examine themselves at the bottom of that barrel. Whereas legalism, ugh. Legalism, that was Jesus' big fight with the snakes, right? <clears throat> you brood of vipers. Legalism insidiously creeps into our faith like plaque in an artery. It's like dying of a heart attack you never see coming because you thought you were so healthy. So stand strong. Stand strong in this freedom because no rules or rituals can replace a relationship with our Creator. But it takes, some, it takes some doing, I'll tell you. It takes some doing to stand strong and resist that fierce temptation to substitute an obvious, obvious religious form for an invisible, emotional, relational reality. Because just like the circumcision group, we crave tangible identity marks to reassure ourselves that we're in good standing with God. But that is an insult to his identity. I mean, that's just wrong. That's treating, that's treating dad like he's the one that's tailing us. That, that, that's acting like you can do something that would change his love for you. How offensive. Oh, stupid Galatians. <laughs> Stand strong. Stand strong in our freedom. Paul writes to the Galatians, we have freedom now because Christ made us free. So stand strong. Do not change and go back into the slavery of law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you that if you go back to the law by being circumcised, you know, for that reason, Christ does you no good. Now don't put your faith in a shadow, especially a shadow of death, rather than the light of life. Again, I warn every man, if you allow yourselves to be circumcised for that reason, you must follow all the law. And so that translates to us, really, if you allow yourself uh, to have any legalistic marker that it's Jesus plus Bible reading, it's Jesus plus church attendance, it's Jesus plus tithing, or good works, or helps, or serving, I mean, whatever, then you better be prepared to do everything the law says. He goes on to say, if you try to be made right with God through the law, your life with Christ is over. You have left God's grace. But we have the true hope that comes from being made right with God by the renewal of our mind through his word, by his spirit. And by the spirit, we, we wait eagerly for this hope, this hope of being transformed into his image. One degree of glory to the next. Bump, bump, bump. Right? We are set free to focus not on sinning less. That's what the law demands. But loving more. 
I just want to be more like him. And the more we allow that gentle bumping of God's spirit to turn us around, well, the more we are actually empowered to resist the allure of sensual indulgence and legalism and all sin by coming to see how it blocks what we most deeply desire. And that is quite simply to learn to love like our Father God. For love comes from God, which is why the truest mark, you want, to know, you want a mark, he gives you some to the Galatians and to us, the truest mark and measure of our fullness of his spirit, as Paul explains to the Galatians, is the God reflecting fruit of the spirit. There's your marks. Pops used to say that God calls us all to be fruit inspectors. You got to look inside. How's that fruit doing? Read this with me. The fruit of the spirit, read it slow, is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. No. Those are the true identity markers. You know, it's funny because we think of fruit now uh, as a health food, more or less. But you have to understand, in Paul's day, fruit was seen and thought of as a dessert food. Came, you know, at the end of the meal, bring out some fruit. It's a dessert food. And, and if Paul had not been inspired to call this list of things fruit, then this list could have been seen as just another form of willpower-driven legalism. Make all these things happen. But he calls them fruit. It's inspired. They are fruit. Because no amount of human effort can make fruit grow. But you do have your part. Our part, our only part, is to faithfully and patiently tend to the tree to protect it, guard it, and of course remove any barrier to its health and to its growth. That's our role. But we can't make the fruit grow. You can just take away the things that stop it and let it do its thing. Although God does the work within we're not passive in the process. But that's a job we carry out with, with joy if, if we like the fruit. If you actually want the fruit, then it's fun to tend to the tree and watch it grow. Otherwise, it's just a chore. It's just a chore. And so, sadly, many believers grasp for a quicker, easier, more tangible way to certify the Spirit's presence. For instance, a legalist, as we've been seeing, will, will turn to rules to certify the Spirit's presence. A hyper-spiritualist turns to experiences. An activist turns to politics. And an intellectualist turns to doctrines. But Paul turns us to the fruit the fruit of the Spirit. And he writes to the Galatians, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? 
you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. No, the, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Because, of course, they said, hey, that was the fulfillment of Abraham, so we, no longer should we be using the sign of the promise that he's going to come, because he already did. And so it brought on a lot of persecution. He says that's why they're doing it, just to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Yeah, they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Having previously said that before this faith in the promise of God came in the person of Christ... We were held prisoners by the law, locked up, until faith in the promise should be revealed in the person who came to set the prisoners free. So the law of Moses was put in charge to lead us to Christ. You know, so how does the law lead us to Christ? How does the law lead us to grace? Simple. By forcing us to face how hopelessly rebellious we are. To show us that we're law haters and rule breakers and therefore we'll never be made right by our own actions and we need a savior. You see, I am quite, myself, perfectly satisfied going 65. As long as the limit is 55. <laughs> and if your faith is based on rules rather than a growing relationship with God, I'm telling you, you will be relentlessly tempted to press the limits. Because the law was given to reveal sin, not to remove it. Read that with me, please. The law was given to reveal sin, not remove it. It was to show us that we need someone who can remove it. The law was there just to reveal it. I love how the New Living Testament renders Romans 3, 19, 20. It says, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to bring the entire world into judgment before God. That's his purpose. For no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what God's law commands. For the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. And that we therefore need a redeemer to save us from it. And those who will not just receive him fully as our curse that frees us from the curse. Well, those lawbreakers will, will either reject the rule of God completely, or they'll change the rules into something much more manageable so they can pat themselves on the back. Either way, the law condemns them. Don't blame the law. Hey, that's just the curse of the law. That's how it works. So if we don't face the obvious and allow ourselves to be authentically transformed deep inside by the renewing of our mind by his spirit through his word, 
will be like them. Our spiritual life will become a search for superficial, highly visible props to prop up a sense of inclusion. But just know, please know, that incredible power and resilience and assurance comes from gratitude-based obedience. That's a whole new thing brought about by Jesus. I obey because I'm so grateful. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful that I'm innocent, even though I do such horrible things. I want to be like him. Gratitude-based obedience. And there is just the one way, just the one way to walk in a faith that's motivated by love that comes from gratitude. And it was the promise. God said, I will put my law in their minds. And he did that with the New Testament. And write it on their hearts. He did that with a new spirit, his spirit that he breathed into us in the church. I will be their God. And they will be my people. He says to Ezekiel, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow. That's the big promise. Read that with me. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow. That's the promise. The promise is to motivate loyalty with loving devotion from an internal pressure, like, say, a new wineskins, and simultaneously get rid of the, uh, that cursed external pressure of punishment. And I'll tell you, we'll know we're getting there when our heart is filled with our gratitude that Dad's doing the driving down here and allowing us to relax in the passenger seat and enjoy this road trip together. Let's pray. Father God, who we love you, love you, worship you, and ask you to help us stand strong in our freedom. Holy Spirit, fill our heart with your fruit and inspire us to speak and act from a place of grace. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you for redeeming us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. We praise you now, continue to worship for making us free by dying so that we might live. And everybody said, amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.